This is Jason Cast. This is Scott Nearman. We are MP Local, where we want you to know that you are not alone. I tell you what, Scott, this business is not easy. It has its own unique challenges. This is not about bottom line only. This is not about profit only. We're about mission and changing communities in the nonprofit world. And that is why we started this podcast called MP Local. All right, all right, all right, you local listeners. Welcome to MP Local Podcast, where we want you to know that you are not alone. I'm Jason Cass. And I'm Scott Nearman. And we are here for you. Scott, it's been a while. Um, Before we get on to it, we know that these are 20 minutes of action-packed. And for all you local listeners, we have some exciting stuff for you today. You're thinking to yourself, how exciting can it be? Just keep eating the salad. Keep uh, chumping on the turkey and ham. And we'll take care of the rest for you, okay? We'll give you something, I promise. And we always like to make it exciting here on MP Local Podcast. Um, So just to give you guys caught up, it is right now, it is March 8th as we record this. It has uh, been one heck of a year. I got to tell you right now, you guys have already known because you've listened to this in the past. The uh, It's starting to get warmer outside. Uh, the economy is a little bit less getting, getting loose. And I say that not only because just of what I perceive, but there were 347,000 jobs created uh, last, last month, which is pretty good. That was way over what they expected. So that's good. And we know that when the money starts to flow and people start to feel good about it, this is where charities, non-for-profits, peoples, the American spirit and heart that Ben Franklin talked about all those years ago starts to ooze out and you start to think about all those that have been affected. If me, Scott, I want to turn this over to you before we get into what we're, we're talking about. But think about this. We have 70 to 75% of the jobs, what we call essential 20 to 25 percent, maybe a third, you could say as much of the jobs were what the government declared non-essential. Now, whether your business was declared non-essential or not, doesn't that is not what we're here for. But what we are here for is that tells me that 70 to 75 percent of Americans, Scott, have been sitting inside their house saving money. Now, some of us have been spending a lot on Amazon. I got to admit, I'm guilty of that. So is my (laughs) wife. But the fact is, well, we would all be rich right now if it wasn't for Amazon because we just would have been sitting inside doing nothing, right? (laughs) But the thing is, is that I'm now, Scott, as those people, those essentials start to look out there in the community and say, I've got this money. Don't you think this is probably going to be a good time for them to start donating, especially when they start to see the needs of people who have really been affected by the last 10 to 12 or 12 months? What's your thoughts on that, Scott? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I th- and, and really, I think it's it's um, it's true that folks have been supporting um, nonprofits throughout this pandemic. So folks have realized that they've had That's that awesome. savings or they realized that maybe they didn't need that stimulus check as much as some others. And they have been helping charity. Uh, as this headline uh, I have from Reuters uh, in front of me, Americans give to charity like never before amid the wow. pandemic. So, wow. So and I did not even up. know that. Local, local listeners, there was no coordination between Scott and I before I brought that up. It was just purely from uh, my heart and the way that I could see the world. And, and I just know the good spirit of Americans. So that's good. That's good. That's good, uh, Scott. Absolutely. Anything you want to add before we get in or you want to take us right into it? Take your time. What you got? 
No, that's that's just from an article that I happen to have at my fingertips. You know, you, it mentions uh, Mackenzie Scott. The uh, speaking of Amazon, you know, the former uh, Amazon queen, and and of course now we've learned recently she's remarried, but she's trying to give that those billions away as fast as possible. Um, she is remarried. Uh, that was news just in the last day or two. Yeah, a high school science teacher. They just they just got a divorce. Did she have something going on too? Okay, that's another no, no, podcast that was... for another time. But anyways, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah the yeah. divorce was a couple of years ago, but um, uh, I think she she actually um, um, you know gave that away in ten fifteen thousand dollar chunks uh, and mm-hmm. larger all across the country. And so I know a couple of organizations actually that have received a, a piece of that. It's it's pretty oh, wow. amazing. But that's yeah, I mean, cool. you know, for the average American, you know. Uh, most folks have been pretty generous during this time, and um, that's well, not wondering where that Scott. That's that's good news. So today, our topic uh, is maybe not quite as exciting as uh, as the uh, the rich and the famous uh, stories here, but uh, wanted to be sure that we talk about in our earliest episodes so that folks can refer back to it as needed about board policies. And while I know that doesn't sound riveting. And I'll be real honest here, uh, it's not my favorite part of the job to, to craft policies, to tweak policies as a nonprofit director. And, and I imagine there's quite a few folks out there that feel the same. This is, um, uh, this is necessary. Um, and I just want to be sure that the folks that are new to the sector and maybe new to their administrative role understand just how important this is. I agree. Because you get into a situation uh, with a donor or a board member and you don't have uh, strong policies written that address uh, the situations that you may encounter, some of which are common to all nonprofits and others which may be unique to your nonprofit. If you don't have those in writing, um, and there's a conflict, there's a disagreement, um, hopefully you have a strong board chair or an executive committee that can help uh, negotiate those conflicts. But uh, the reality is if it's in writing and the board has approved it, um, the board can actually lose, the, the nonprofit can actually lose uh, tax-exempt status by not following its own bylaws and policies. And so okay. should, should something be investigated, say by the IRS, or you be the subject of an audit, uh, it's actually a way to lose tax-exempt status. And that's a pretty big deal, right? Those mm-hmm. donors aren't getting that tax-deductible uh, letter from you um, uh, for their gift if, if you don't have a 501c3 status. Now, what, now, here's what's important, Scott. You've really hit on this. And so, uh, local listeners, before he goes into actually some of these, I want to emphasize a couple things he said. These are vital. And a lot of times, we as business owners do not, this is the stuff we avoid because it's the stuff that's unknown to us. And sometimes it's unknown. When it's unknown, it builds anxiety. When it builds anxiety, it builds fear. And that's where fear comes from. A lot exactly. of times the anxiety comes though, Scott, because they don't have it. And that's what we're gonna help them deliver here and give them the insight to what it needs to be. And you can always reach out to other organizations and ask them how they have it. Or you can reach right. out to Scott. Whenever I am dealing with this, Scott, um, and I say I'm dealing with this, a lot of the executive directors or anybody who's working inside the um, inside the organization that's a local listener here, you you may have heard of directors and officers. Mm-hmm. Directors and officers, we're not going to go into it, but every other type of liability is bodily injury or property damage. Your directors and officers is what we call wrongful acts 
which would mean you have these policies, you're not following them. Now you would be brought into some type of lawsuit or maybe the, um, the organization would experience a significant loss because you lost a huge donor based on the wrongful acts that you did by not following your own policies. It doesn't mean that you did it on purpose. It doesn't mean that you're a bad organization. It right. just means, hey, we had these bylaws and we didn't follow them. We had a wrongful act and now that caused harm to the organization. So that's why these are important. And when you hear that directors and officers, you're like, what does that mean? That's what that is. This is what this right. is here. So, sorry, Scott, just wanted to emphasize that. No, that's that's important. And the, your insurance companies look for these things to be in place as well. Any sort of right. policy that would... Uh, protect the organization that would overall lower risk is risk that you are uh, not only protecting your organization against, but it's something that may save you a few bucks on insurance. It's true. Um, so uh, just to go over a few, um, I'd like to just be sure that folks understand some of the, the, the key ones. And if you don't have these, I um, uh, want to help you um, know where to go to, to come up with them. And before I forget, I want to be sure that if for those who are fundraising professionals out there, maybe um, maybe the executives that are our local listeners, maybe they have fundraising training, maybe they don't. But I want to encourage you all to join or have your chief fundraiser join the Association of Fundraising Professionals, AFP. Oh, wow. Okay. And that website is afpglobal.org. And so uh, this is a place that when you're a member, there are numerous uh, examples and policy templates um, and they will uh, certainly address fundraising as well, being the Professional Fundraising Association. This is not the only... It's in the name. Gotcha. <laughs> Got... <laughs> not the only professional organization, but certainly one that's widely known and I know mm -hmm. has many samples on their website. Okay, that's good. So number one, when you uh, become a nonprofit and you are, you've got those legal documents in place uh, for incorporation... Um, uh, much of which um, conflict of interest policy is actually required for incorporation. Uh, that is a fairly recent addition at the IRS. So conflict of interest for your board members and your key staff, uh, whatever that may be, that must be described and uh, how it will be addressed. Just because someone has a conflict, they have an outside business or something, does not mean that it's perceived or will become a problem for your organization. It just means that it needs to be disclosed that's and it needs right. to be open and, and out front. And uh, that's the case for me as a full-time director, but doing consulting on the side, I disclose it and I disclose it on an annual basis it's on good. a written it's form. It's good to know. Uh, so that's required for incorporation. And, and right along with that is confidentiality. We know, uh, if we've been in nonprofits for any length of time, that donor confidentiality and other business of the organization is of utmost importance. If we can't be trusted to uh, keep that financial information or, or otherwise personal information uh, secure, uh, then that creates problems and down the road could grow to some significant uh, fundraising or legal issues. Now, uh, I don't want to take too long here because we have other ones we want to point out, but conflict of interest policy, could that work both ways, Scott? Could it be could it be, could it be that hey I want to disclose what I am good at and and how you said something and I apologize local listeners I lost my train of thought there go ahead it'll it'll come back to me on that 
I mean, I'm okay. sorry. It was confl- it was confidentiality policy. My fault. Oh confidentiality yeah. Policy. That's where my question was. Is it's on both sides? You have somebody who wants to not be known, but do you have some people that actually say to you, "I want this to be known that I'm giving this"? Do you guys ever get? Yeah, that? just just a side conversation. Actually, um, yes, and and I've had that happen very recently. In fact, we've been making some uh, some donor videos. Uh, <laughs> we've been making some donor videos at. Um, uh, in preparation for a virtual event uh, later this month. And so there are folks who are, are, are so generous and, and comfortable with the fact that this is the time of their life or this is their desire to build an endowment or, or give some of their wealth away. They want to ins- inspire others. And so while confidentiality is incredibly important, with their explicit permission uh, and, and proper notation in the database, we do uh, want to recognize those folks that. that care about the organization. Did not so know that, Scott. That's fantastic. I was asking the question because it popped up. Go ahead. We got about four more of these, and we want to stay at the 20 yeah. minutes for you local listeners. The other um, that, that is of utmost important is the gift acceptance policy. And along with that, there may be a couple of accompanying policies, or you may want to be sure and incorporate gift documentation and gift recognition. It kind of goes right hand-in-hand hand with that confidentiality on recognition. But the point being is the gift acceptance policy enables you to receive certain gifts and you may wish to have for example in the gift of real estate you may wish to have board permission or executive committee approvals before you would actually accept a piece of real estate and subject the organization to potential liabilities with that you may have environmental issues with a, a piece of real estate that a donor would um, very much like to uh, rid themselves of that problem and tax so you want to be prepared tax, absolutely tax taxes yeah. right And so you're outlining in a gift acceptance policy, certainly one of the first policies that you need to open your doors for business and for fundraising um, to what you will accept. Do you have a way, for example, to sell off an old car or an old boat that's been sitting in someone's yard or, you know, doesn't run anymore? Do you have a way to dispose of that? Because, eh, it might be 500 bucks of scrap metal. Um, so if you've got a way to do that, you, you may want to say that, okay, we can accept tangible personal property. Um, and I think as time goes on, you know, you find board members, uh, you find your local auctioneer, folks that will help you with artwork, collectibles, uh, different things that you may be able to accept that is not cash. Uh, and so the gift acceptance policy spells out many things, but the most important of which is what will you accept and what will you not accept? Another example would be, are you going to be the trustee of a trust or are you not? Okay, are you actually prepared with all the fiduciary responsibility of being a trustee or would you just as soon work with a local bank that does this every day and refer folks to their local trust department and be the recipient of that trust somewhere down the road? I like that, dude. I like that. That's not something I don't think a lot of people think of, Scott. That's, That's experience right there. That's good stuff. Well, it's certainly, it's certainly important, and these are conversations to have with your attorney and with your board, um, and look at those templates and decide what your internal capacities are and, and what you've got the, the wisdom on your board How would you find for. a proper attorney? Write that down. Maybe there's yeah. something that's a little bit different. We could talk about the differences between an attorney for a for-profit corporation versus a nonprofit and the differences and similarities. That'd be good for future. Sorry, sorry, Scott. Yeah, sure. So uh, I think the other one that, that is probably going to apply to all organizations, uh, some more than others, uh, for example, at the College Foundation where I work, you know, we have a, a good size endowment. 
um, the the investment policy and the spending policy uh, for our organization and specifically for our investments um, is incredibly important. Uh, we've been making some changes to that over the last 18 months and, and kind of updating the benchmarks and how we keep our advisors and, and those managing the funds accountable. But the uh, investment policy and the spending policy simply describe how you invest and how you spend. For some nonprofits, they're going to have some uh, specific um, ethical guidelines that they will not want to invest. Per, perhaps faith-based organizations want to avoid investing in certain industries, um, alcohol, sense. tobacco, and, and there's these value-based investing uh, guidelines. For some, uh, for some organizations, you know, I could see that, yeah. So, so you don't want to invest where you're not comfortable, but overall it's going to allocate, you know, how much are you putting in equities and how much do you need to keep in fixed income and cash? And that's really the big uh, and other and other uh, alternative methods. That's really the big breakdown in an investment policy. I love the, that. The last couple uh, that I've kind of identified as is the the core um, include a whistleblower policy. So this involves anything within the organization um, and anybody involved with it that there is a method for them to uh, report up the chain if they don't feel comfortable coming to the executive director that they have somebody on the board or within your organization that they can go to. And um, that's pretty straightforward. You know, it's a very common policy to have. And then the other one is a document or record retention and destruction. Um, this is pretty important when it, you know, talk with your uh, auditor about this policy. How long do you need to keep certain records? Those records are different uh, for, for a nonprofit than they might be for other organizations. You've got, as we mentioned earlier, gift documentation. Um, how long do you keep that pledge card from an event? Um, Whereas you can probably destroy that after the pledge is, is met or within your audit period, which most people would say is under 10 years, uh, maybe as short as five, um, you may choose to scan it into a database. Mm -hmm. So then which one becomes the official copy, the electronic copy or the one that you shredded a couple of years ago? Uh, you also uh, may have uh, copies of wills and other estate documents. I would suggest you keep those forever. But again, determining... Uh, you know, you, you want to scan things in in today's world for a remote work environment, those of us working from our home, and also uh, for, for easy access and protection from fire and other damage. Uh, so which one's the official record? Uh, but if you're keeping it forever, uh, having it scanned in is probably a real good idea. So document retention, and then what is the schedule for destruction? Who's responsible for destruction? And uh, how are you going to ensure in your processes that that's done? So as we wrap it up here, Scott, how much do you think when you're dealing with organizations have all these in place? I think the, the uh, core ones required by the IRS, conflict of interest, gift acceptance uh, are probably very common. Uh, but okay. the others have got to be in that first phase of, of, of development. I don't think 25% I don't think of organizations have some of these. Do you think that they don't prepare them because they don't know about them or they don't know how to prepare them? Both. Both. both? And, and okay. I'll tell you, we, we hired a consultant, um, uh, both the last two places I've been employed, we've hired a consultant that I knew was good at this uh, to help draft these policies. That's not to say that downloading a template off of the AFP website once you join is a bad idea mm -hmm. um, because it gives you something to work from. And the reality mm -hmm. is over time, the board's going to want to tweak and fine-tune these, and you're going to find situations that you haven't thought about 
And so um, that's a place, again, where you involve your auditor, your CPA, your attorney for various uh, questions, and they can help you tweak that wording. But, you know, most nonprofit boards have at least an attorney on their board, maybe a couple, and those folks will love this. Okay, I'm not an attorney, right. Jason, so I don't just love tweaking the, the fine Right. words of a policy, but some people do, and they can be very helpful to you in this effort. God love them. I hope you found this important, and I found, hope you found this uh, very um, informative, because I it's important. This is the kind of stuff, once again, we try to make it fun. We try to make it interesting. Just remember your investment and spending policy, gift acceptance, documentation, recognition policies, confidentiality policies, and conflict of interest as well, whistleblower uh, policies, document, record retention, and destruction. Those are very, very important. Those are six that will get you well on your way. Um, he gave some important places where you can go look. You can hit rewind on this, or you can reach out to Scott. Um, and if you heard Scott there, which was really good, Scott is a consultant, but Scott hires consultants for his businesses as well. Can never learn too much from too many people. Reach out to your other organizations out there, um, and That's we right. will be back here pretty soon. I think you'll like our next one um, where we talk about insurance. But anyways, anything else you uh, you need to say, Scott, before we go? Uh, just know that there's other policies out there that you need to have. You know, you've got diversity policy, code of ethics, and then other important uh, legal and uh, incorporation documents. And so we can talk about those in another episode. But I uh, want to be sure that folks know that getting off the ground and being open for business, if you're new, it's very important to, to be sure that you have that buffer between you and a disgruntled donor or a board mm -hmm. member that doesn't agree, that the board agrees on board governing policies. I like how you describe it a buffer. That's exactly what that is. And what we are is we are here for you. This has been MP Local Podcast. I've been Jason Cass. And I'm Scott Nearman. And we want you to know that you are not alone. We are out.